Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 22. <laughs> and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and preached to those who were near. For through him we both have access in our spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place by God, for God, by the Spirit. Amen. Can everyone say amen? Amen. amen. I'm not necessarily a pastor or a preacher, so I'm not going to try to do all that stuff. But um, I do want to just draw out some contrast to what we see in the scriptures. How many of you know that it's important to be able to make observations about the scripture? Just kind of pull out what you see in the scripture. So what I see, verse, verse 1, this, this whole chapter is full of contrast. If you remember English, compare and contrast. This entire chapter is full of contra- contrast. So that if you look at verse 1, it talks about death, being dead. But what does verse 5 talk about? Being alive. Verse 8 talks about being saved by grace. Verse 9 talks about it not being of works. Verse 13 talks about some being far away and then some being, then being, then being made near, brought near. Verse 11 talks about the uncircumcised and then the circumcised. So you can see there's a lot of contrast in this particular chapter. And then verse 14, it talks about two groups being made one group. Two groups being made one group. In verses 1 through 10, it's almost like this book or this chapter is divided in two. That's what it feels like if you read through Ephesians chapter 2. It feels like the chapter is like two separate groups. Does anyone feel that? Anyone notice that in the text? It's like separation, alienation, 
with some of the words that were read, division were some of the words that I heard. It's like this chapter is all about contrast, about division, barriers, walls. In verses 1 through 10, it's where we want to always think and focus and talk about being saved by grace. I was talking to a friend of mine on the way down, and he used to be on staff with me. And when I started talking about Ephesians chapter 2, guess what he said? The first thing out of his mouth, verse 8 and 9, 2, 8 and 9 is by grace. Say it with me, it is by grace that we're saved through not of words. Scripture memory. <laughs> not of works. I'll read it again. No one can boast. Chapter verses 8 and 9. He only wanted to talk about was 8 and 9. 8 and 9. That's the happy part. That's the part that makes us feel good. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works so that no one can boast. Can you imagine what would happen if we, was, if we had to be saved by something else other than grace? We've not been saved by our works. We've not been saved by our gender. We've not been saved by our race. We've not been saved by our money. We've not been saved by our merit. We've been saved by grace. We've been saved by grace. grace. Can you imagine who would be saved if, the, if it was dependent on our merit, who would be saved? What about our race? Who would be saved if God only wanted a certain race, if you had to have a certain race to be saved? Who would be saved? What about a certain gender? Which gender would be saved? In other words, if there was anything else by which we could be saved, who would be saved? It's by grace alone and grace only. See, that's the part of the, the chapter that feels good, right? Salvation by grace. But there's a second part, or another part of the chapter, verses 11 through 22. In that, in that section of verses, Jesus does two things. So I'm going to need one, two, three, four, five, six, seven people to come up here with me. Seven people to come up here with me. Please. Seven people. One. Now I'm going to start calling on people. Okay, this whole front one is here. All right, seven people to come up front. You're not going to have to talk. You're not going to have to give a testimony or a speech or anything like that. Just come on up. One, two, three. We've got, we only have three. I need four more. I need four more. Four, five, six, I need one more. Yeah, one more. All right. So now let's go back to the text. Go back to the text. Jesus does two things in verses 11 through 22. Look it out. Every person take, come to one set of chairs. So 70. So one person per stack, please. In verse 
14. It's sad that we need one verse from Peter. Verse 22, verse 14 says, Jesus, now let me stop, let me pause for a second. Many of you probably have noticed that there's a dividing barrier here, correct? Does anyone notice that? Okay. So Jesus did something to this barrier that's incredible. It says in verse 14, he destroyed it. Now different translations may use different words. So in the NIV it says he destroyed it. What about someone else who does not have the NIV? What does it say in verse 14 he did to the wall? Broken down. Broken down. Okay. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna start moving these. So okay. can you just push and I'll pull? Okay. Alright, so did it say he moved it? Anybody translates that he moved it out of the way or slid it aside? I'm asking. What does it say he did to it? So it says he destroyed the dividing wall and there was some hostility in the wall. Tired. Are you ready? Let's push. One, two, three, go. Okay, that's good. Okay, good. It's really good. <laughs> all that. All right. So, so now what I want y'all to do is come and help all of all of y'all come back and help them do the same thing. I'm getting tired. <laughs> Zach, can you read verses 11 through 22 again? Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. Through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Welcome. Peace unto you, my brothers and my sisters. Now, <clears throat> many of you may not know what it's like to be on the other side of the wall. 
circumcision, the uncircumcision. Near, far. Close, distant. Love, estranged, not love. Many of you, because of your race or maybe your gender, you may or may not know what that feels like. But Jesus did two things. He tore down, destroyed the dividing wall. But not only did he do that, he built something in his place. Verse 22. Can you read verse 22? He destroyed one thing, then he built up another thing. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. You see, in our, in our culture, and you're going to find this as you continue to live, that we create walls. We create dividing walls. Your political party, whatever it might be, your gender, your race, your socioeconomic class, whatever it might be, we create these walls. And we, now, the circumcision were people of what ethnicity? Those who were circumcised. Jewish. Jewish. The uncircumcised were, were what? The what ethnicity? So one group was favored, the other group was alienated. One group was in God, close to God, had access to God through the priests and the high priests and the holy of holies in the temple. The other group had no hope. Said no hope in the NIV, no hope in the world. No hope in the world. But because of what Jesus did, it literally destroyed. It means it can't come back. So the dividing wall cannot come back. We cannot be divided by that again. Amen? True or true? Okay. But as it said in this particular passage, the circumcision was created by who? It says it right there in the text. The circumcision was created by who? Who orchestrated the physical act of circumcision? People, human hands. God established a covenant, and then people instituted this circumcision, which caused some kind of separation. But now the circumcision that we have is in our hearts. Our, us being set apart from the world, that's in our hearts. There's no more physical circumcision to give us this place in Christ. We have it through, through Jesus Christ. So many of you don't know me at all, so I don't just like to talk or teach. I like for you to not just hear something, but I like you to feel something. And I'm guessing that many of you are feeling something right now. True or true? True. True. Either one you pick. Right. I'm imagining that what this group is feeling is a little bit different maybe from what this group is feeling or, or, or felt. Only one way for me to find out. See, I'm not a preacher. Like I told you, I am a, a processor. I'm a therapist. So I actually, nothing, nothing right now is going to be rhetorical from this point on. No rhetorical questions. I would like for a few people from this side of the dividing wall to, even though you know it's a demonstration when you walk in, you kind of know it's an illustration when you walk in, I bet there were some real emotions that came up for somebody some real feelings that came. Even though there's some chuckling and some laughing and some giggling, I, I'm willing to get wager that somebody felt some kind of way. True? True. How do you feel? You're shaking your head like, mm-hmm. 
How did you feel? This is maybe one, two words? Um, I don't know. Uh, I won't look at you. Don't look, don't look at you. <laughs> I don't want to put you on the spot, but I want to know how you felt. You're like, yeah, I felt something. How did you feel? Ignored. Ignored. Um, okay. Not part of it. Not part of it. Okay, who else? Throw them out. I don't want to put you on the spot too bad. Confused. Confused. Confused, like we all, this, what's going on? We all one, all together, the teaching, why? Because I can see how you're confused. But you have no idea what in the world is going on. What else? Ignore it. My mind went to like, did I do something wrong? Did I do something wrong? Wow, thank you. I'm being punished. Confused, ignored, did I do something wrong? Angry. 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 Amen. What else? Less important. Less important. Unfair. Unfair. Yeah, it's gonna fall. Now I told you about that stage. I told you I fell off it. I plumped you. I'm not kidding. So y'all need help. Okay, help her, help her brother. Okay. So we've got quite a few emotions here. Now, were these emotions like real emotions that you felt? Like real confusion, real anger, real, you know, not being a part of it, real, real things? No, but that's real, was that real emotion? Okay. All right, so what I want to do now is explain sort of why this is significant. Because we're all one in Christ, regardless of our ethnicity or our race. But do you know that there are some people of some ethnic and racial groups that feel angry, left out, trouble, in trouble, whatever you're wrong, confused every day. Feel left out of the mainstream every single day. Is that, are you aware of that? That there are some groups that feel isolated, feel pushed to the side, marginalized, feel like there's a dividing wall between them and opportunity. So what if I came back to you and I said, well, get over it. You know, suck it up work a little bit harder, you know, try, as soon as you try to kind of involve yourself in what was going on, just do that a little bit more often. See, really the problem is you don't work hard enough, you didn't try hard enough. If you had kept working at it, if you were nicer about it, maybe more assertive about it, maybe I would have seen you. Maybe I would have recognized you a little bit more. So it's still your fault, kind of. You know what I mean? So you can't blame me. It's like if you just really stop pointing the finger at other people, saying that I'm being, discriminated against, that I'm being left out, that due to the cause of this, the cause of that, if you just do a little bit more, give a little bit more effort, maybe you could have been included. You know that there are people that have been told that. That's why you're not the best schools, that's why you don't have the best jobs, that's why you don't have the best opportunities, because you just need to work a little bit harder, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. See, that's real emotion. And for me to come here and do a talk in Ephesians 2 that, let me ask you, raise your hand if you've ever been, heard a, a, a sermon on Ephesians 2 before. And, and keep your hand up if you're left feeling like you feel now. Okay. <laughs> right. So to me, the, the meaning of it is easy to get pushed into McDonald's after church or Dagwoods or California Pizza. It doesn't stick with you because you don't feel it. You just think it. It's intellectual. So let me let me pause and ask you this side of the room. How did you feel 
as we were kind of getting into the, the day, knowing that you were going to be acknowledged and included. What were some feelings that were going over here? Honest feelings, how did you feel? I felt important. I felt important. What else? I see people smiling. I'm not going to call you. Call on you, but I might. I'm going to talk. Freedom to make a choice. Freedom to make a choice? Okay. How many of you on this side felt sort of bad for people on this side? Raise your hand high. Have those who have your hands up, how many of you confronted me about it? Okay. How many of you thought it was wrong what was happening on this side? High. Raise how many of you with your hands up confronting me about it? Uh-oh. Okay. How many of you wish things were better for them? Raise your hand. Of those that have your hands up, how many of you did something about it? This is the problem in our culture. This is the problem in our church. Many Christians who are the majority culture, majority race, see the problems, know that they're wrong, recognize that they're wrong, but say and do nothing. That's real. And do you see that? They, they felt the pain that you were going through, but they didn't say anything. And I know why. One, I'm an authority figure. Number two, you know it's kind of a demonstration. Number three, you don't know how to feel. You don't know what to do. You don't know what to do, right? And you, even if you wanted to do something, you didn't know what to do. Would that, would that be right? Or how to confront it? And I think that's what I hear as I speak and teach on this topic. Everywhere I go, as people say, you know, Jeremiah, we want to do something about it. We know we see the injustice and we see, you know, the separation and the vi- we want to do something about it. We don't know what to do. So now this is why I want to speak to you all as a Christian body, because now the dividing wall has been removed. So there's nothing keeping you from each other. Does that make sense? Literally, there's nothing keeping you from intervening. So one thing that I, I would say to this side, and we're gonna, I'm going to ask you two key questions at, at the end of this, but on, on this side, I would say, you know, why don't you ask how they feel? What did it feel like to be ignored? What did it feel like to be angry? To feel That'd be one thing. How, how would that have felt? Even if they didn't confront me, if someone said, hey, guys, I know y'all have been ignored. How do y'all feel? <coughs> would that have felt any better at all? I'm asking you. Somebody said no. Somebody said yeah. Raise your hand if you say you will feel a little bit better if someone just acknowledged that we were being ignored. Raise your hand. Even if you couldn't change it, okay, put your hand down. Okay, all right. So maybe maybe half, maybe a little more. So what can you do? You can acknowledge that there's something wrong. They, you got half people that say that it would make a difference a little bit. Number two, you can actually not only acknowledge it, but then listen to what they have to say about how they felt. So the person that felt maybe angry or isolated, what did that feel like? What made you angry about that? How would that have, would that have helped anymore if someone had done that? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. In Charlotte, North Carolina, I used to live in, I lived in Georgia for five years. And I would, I was, you know, I was, I'd written a book and so I was traveling, speaking and doing all these kind of things all over the place. and. I got an opportunity to catch, I was called back to Charlotte about three or four years ago because there was a police shooting in Charlotte, North Carolina. Anybody hear about that? 
and there was a lot of division in our city, or in the city. And so they, a group that called me in to do some training and some work to help bring people back together and all that good stuff. So that I had gone, I lived there before, and so I, we had a church home there. So that night I came into the town and I went to my church and they were having a forum, open forum, an open forum to talk about what had happened. And so I came and sat in the back, hoping not to be seen, but that didn't work. But no one called me to the front. But anyway, there was a microphone up front. Don't you try to put yourself in this situation. So something has just happened in the city. A police officer shot a man. He happened to be an African-American man, and he died. And there was a lot of unrest in Tombo. People were rioting. People were protesting in the streets of Charlotte, North Carolina. Charlotte is a nice town, y'all. But that, that night, scary. And I came in just as that was happening. So I came to the forum, and so there's an open mic. Anyone could come up, it was probably double this size of people, maybe, maybe triple, yeah, probably triple. And people were ready to just talk. They were hurting, people on this side. They were angry, they felt ignored. And so guess what happened? So people of color would come up, and they would talk about what happened, how they felt. And they, would, they were acknowledged, they were heard. Yes, we're angry, it's not fair, we don't feel safe. Person after person, male and female, people of color, were heard wherever they were not. They were affirmed. But then one white man came up because it was an open forum. And he talked about how his father was a police officer and how his father had fought hard to protect and serve people up in the Chicago area. And how he was hurt that so many people were saying negative things about police. And guess what happened to him? Not only, not only was he not heard and ignored, he was attacked, not physically, but anyone who came after him on the microphone attacked him, pointed at him and said, you don't understand. You don't gotta wear this skin that I gotta wear. Every person attacked him. So how do you think he felt? So I'm in the back of the church wondering, I wonder how he feels, being me. So guess what I did afterwards? I got up, you know, like, can you get up, can you stand up? I, I found, I'll be him, I found this, this person, and I went over to him and said, can we talk? <clears throat> I didn't know, he didn't know me, he didn't know who I was, I didn't face to face, he said that. And you know what he said to me? He said no. <laughs> he said no, he turned it down, he said no. He was going, making a beeline for one of the people who really had jumped on him, attacked him. And they were standing at each other face to face, going after each other. I mean, that, and I was like standing there, and the person happened to be female. The person that that was going with, going back to with, was a female, a black female. He's a white male, and he's standing there over her, taller than her, bigger than her, and he's he's livid, and he's he's livid trembling. And they're going back and forth. Nobody was hearing the other. I mean, literally, he wanted to say what he had to say, and then she wanted to say what she had to say. And so eventually, they had to agree to disagree. If someone actually had to come and say to her, "It's time for us to go. We gotta get out of here." And then I, I grabbed him and said, hey, can we talk? And he said, yeah. So we sat down in the lobby. Again, he doesn't know who I am. And I, I say, how do you feel? I said, how do you feel? He said, he, he, well, I can't say everything he said, but he said he was pissed off. He felt ignored, he was angry, he was frustrated. He thought this was an open forum. He couldn't believe how he was attacked. This is unacceptable. This is not, not fair, all the things he said. And he kept on going and going and going. He said, my, my dad fought hard to protect black people. And he was picked on and teased and ridiculed. He was in those black communities. He was doing all he could for him, And he was just going off. He gets so emotional 
that he starts to cry. And he says, and I was bullied by black kids all my life, and all I want to do was be good to them and help them out. And he was literally crying and trembling and shaking. It's a grown man. He doesn't know who I am. And all I'm doing is sitting there quiet, just listening. I'm not offering any professional services. I'm not offering anything significant. I'm just there with him. And eventually he looks up and says, who are you? I said, well, that's not that important. Can I ask you another question? He said, yes. Yeah. I said, how do you feel now? I said, I feel heard. I feel better. I feel like you listened to me. He said, but it feels like kind of awesome and kind of awkward. So well, what feels awesome? He said, well, you, it's like you really care about me. And I said, well, what was awkward? He said, well, you're black. And all I've been doing is talking about a black man <laughs> the whole time. He was expressing himself about how he was frustrated with black people, specifically black men. And I'm a black man sitting there listening to him go off. And I didn't move away. I didn't run. I didn't lash back. He said, man, you sat there and you heard me the whole time. So I said, who are you? He's like, who are you? So I said, I told him my name while I was there and that I was a professional counselor. And I might get a little emotional. Um, so I'm a professional counselor. And um, so I hated how you were being treated. I hated what was happening to you because you came here to be a part of something that was going to change something. And you were attacked. So that hurt. It hurt me. And um, I expressed it to him. He said, Jeremiah, you know, you're not going to believe this, but right now I'm in counseling school to be a counselor. And he said, I hope one day I can do for somebody what you did for me. So this is why I do what I do, because I really believe it. I recognize that if somebody doesn't stand up on this side and, and just step over, it doesn't take anything, you know, extra, not, it doesn't take anything political or activism or organizing, just listen. Just sit there and be with the people who are desperate to be heard. Everybody wants to be heard, but nobody wants to listen. We think, the reason we don't move and act, we think we got to do something, something really big, like Martin Luther King-like. We don't. You knew it was wrong. You saw that it was wrong. You felt that it was wrong. Step up. Listen. Reach out. Care. Because I promise you, the people on this side are going to value that and appreciate that like you would never believe. Um, if you're looking for like 30 points about what to do to, to cause uh, unity and diversity, you don't need 30 points. You need to do one. If you can just do the first thing, ask the question and then listen. How does that make you feel? And then just listen for the answer. And I know you're not professionally trained and all that, but just listen for the answer. There was a TED talk that I listened to recently and it was titled, I was almost a school shooter. Anybody ever seen that one? I was almost a school shooter. And if I cry again, this is gonna have to happen. The guy in it was talking about how his parents moved from town to town, from city to city, and how he was always a new kid. He was a little bit overweight, and he was always picked on. He was always teased for his weight and for how he looked. And he got to the point where he was just bitter and angry and frustrated. And he was going to literally shoot up a school or a mall. And so in that school he was at at that time, there was a gang, and he knew that they had guns. So he went to one of the gang members and said, hey, look, can you get me a gun for whatever this price? The guy was like, yeah. But there was, there were, by the way, there were plenty of, his mom basically told him, and he was also a cutter, he cut himself, he was a cutter. If you're not familiar with that, people actually cut themselves for relief, for pain, emotional pain. He was a cutter, 
and he got involved with mental health and social services and all the professionals, right? And his mother told him that she wished he would have cut a, cut a little bit harder so he would have died. And so that's why he was in social service. And so he said the social workers really just always want to know, what can I do to help you? Check off a little, what can I do, what do you need? And they weren't really helping him. He said the person that helped him the most was another kid who was not any, not a cool kid. He's like a regular kid, had kind of like a rundown house, but would let him come over there and just hang out. I mean, literally just hang out and do nothing. He accepted him, he brought him in. I promise you, the kid didn't do anything special. He didn't do anything Martin the King-like. He just let the kid come over there and be himself. And even though he wanted to shoot the school up, that kid invited him to the house. Didn't know he wanted to do that. Just invited him to the house and said, hey, let's hang out. I don't, I don't know, I can't do all this, but I don't got no video games, but I got some ads. Like, there's crackers. How about these ads? So he made him feel welcome. And the speaker said that he didn't shoot the school up. He didn't shoot them all. And that he was, in the, he was at the TED Talk, and he said the guy that was his friend was in the audience. He literally takes the person with him when he travels and speaks. What I'm trying to emphasize to you is that it doesn't take what you may think it takes to begin to create some, some unity where there's division, where there's separation. Can you ask the question and can, then can you listen for the answer? And then when the answer becomes too big for you to, to handle, what do you need to do? Keep listening. Keep listening. And then, yeah, you may need to refer to someone for them to talk to more in depth. But keep listening. We professionals, there's already a barrier that comes up when people come to talk to us. They know that we're clinical and that we're going to do a little diagnosis and we're going to you know, treat them. But if you just be their friend, and many of you know about discipleship, you know about being someone's friend, you know about pouring into someone's life. And so what I want to do now is we're closing up. I'm going to ask you two questions that I'm going to challenge you with for the entire summer. For the summer, I want you to answer two, not, not yet. I'm, I'm, this is what we call build up, okay? like a trailer. I'm going to ask you two questions at the end that I want you to really personalize this summer, okay? All right, so, but in the meantime, I'm going to actually play something for you. Because all day we've been talking about contrast. Two separate things and division. So two things that don't normally come together. So Jews and Gentiles didn't normally come together. The uncircumcised and the circumcised didn't necessarily come together. All right, so we're going to show a video of two things and two people that wouldn't necessarily need to be coming together. I can say you want to. I am.
that video had a lot of things in it that did not go together. Or that you wouldn't think, you wouldn't think would go together. How many of you know the, the back story to that though? The reason that they came together? You know the back story? Oh, not why he came together. Well, you know, okay. Well, it has to do with, they originally put the song on the country church, mm -hmm. but then like true country fans who don't themselves got really angry mm -hmm. because they didn't think it was a country song. So they actually kicked him out yeah. of the country church. And so Billy Ray came in and said, I'll do this with you so they could get him back. Y'all hear that? Y'all hear that on that side? 
So initially, the, the song was just climbing the country billboard charts. I think it had reached 19. It was like in the top 10. Oh, top, in the top 10. And I don't know who it was. The officials basically kicked it out or whatever the word is. Said it was not, it was not didn't qualify as a country song. So it was pushed off the billboard charts. And then Billy Ray Cyrus thought it wasn't fair. And he literally said, I didn't think that was right. I saw an interview with him. I didn't think that was right. So what did he decide to do? He decided to partner. So the two came one. And then now the song has over 90 some million views on YouTube. It's only been up there for a few few weeks. So the point is, whenever we can figure out how to remove that dividing wall, we really can create some beautiful music together. And use that. Now, two other things that don't go together. Uh, naturally, uh, a, a black guy from North Carolina, a white guy from South Carolina, one with little ears, one with big ears. Contrast, <laughs> things that don't go together. Coming together for a, a summer to live together in a room and do Bible study in the back of a car, that doesn't go together. I mean, think about the people that were just walking by and sit in the back seat, like he didn't say that, the back seat of the car, in, you know, in the morning, like, you know, studying Bible together, praying together, don't look right. Don't look like it should go together, true or false. True or true or true, true or true, yeah, don't look like it. And then not only that, that was like, mm, some years ago. <laughs> Quite a number of years ago. And then for, for that, that black guy to go to that white guy's house, meet that white guy's parents, and go to that white guy's church, and then be invited to sing up front, like help the praise team, and um, y'all probably already figured out that I can sing. Maybe, maybe not. And, um, but you know, the assumption is that you must be able to sing, you know? And so, maybe he can sing way better than me. And he can play basketball way better than me. So, two things that just don't go together. I mean, him coming up to visit me in Charlotte and hanging out with me on the campus and in the dorms and, you know, in my house eventually. And then me, you know, going down to the, um, the beach project. And then me, oh, 20 maybe years later, maybe coming to do a training for staff, and now he's the director of Campus Outreach, and me still being here after all these years, doing something together that we believe is gonna unify the body of Christ. That doesn't go together, and it's not always easy to make happy. You know how hard it is to stay in contact with somebody for 20 plus years? Maybe some of you are not that old yet, so maybe you don't. Um, but it's not easy, it takes intentionality. And so you wanna know what it takes? It takes intentionality. So you have to intentionally get up and ask the question. You've got to intentionally say, you know, I want diversity. So diversity is not primarily external. Basically putting some diverse songs in a you know, playlist at church or having diverse people of color or whatever up front, you know, doing things so people can see the diversity. It's really internal. It starts with you deciding you want to be a person who lives that way. If you and Paul's actually been to my house this year. And he's seen our neighborhood and how diverse our neighborhood is. So my wife and I, my wife is also on staff with Campus Outreach at one point, and we both decided we want to live our lives in diverse communities. And so we had to be intentional, meaning it took purpose. We couldn't just say, hey, let's you know, live wherever we want to live in. So we really deliberately chose our neighborhood, our church, the schools that our kids go to, because we want to walk out of our doors and see people that we might not normally see, people that may not look like us. So it takes intentionality, something that you have to decide to do. It starts inside, not necessarily external or outside. That's the next thing. People often know, what can we do? That's what we got to be intentional about, what we say we want. So how important is diversity? How important is diversity to the body of Christ? Well, I think you see the power of what a unified body 
can do, a unified body can be. And the man that discipled me was from South Georgia. And if he was here, he could tell you that it was hard. Um, a lot of anger, because there's a lot of things that he didn't know. A lot of things that he took for granted that he assumed. So we, had a, we went at it a lot, we butted heads a lot. And I was older when I got involved with the ministry, and so I thought I knew pretty much everything I needed to know. And this is a guy that's only a few years older than me trying to tell me what to do. It wasn't easy, it wasn't pleasant. My very first beach project, I actually told somebody that they were lying because they tried to tell me that I didn't have a clear testimony about when I came to know, know Christ. And I said, you must be crazy. I've been a Christian since I was 10 years old. I mean, I've been in the Word since I was eight. Didn't get serious since I was 10. People think that's funny. But I mean, I was, so I was into it. A lot of pride there. So a lot of my pride had to be stripped down. And when I walked onto my first beach project, um, <clears throat> I had on shorts. And that may not mean anything to you unless you know me. And so um, because of my, my, my leg muscles, people think that I can run really fast and jump really high. So if you can see, my wife likes me to wear skinny jeans. You like how they look? I don't. Can you see how tight they are around the calf area? Because it's just it's too tight. And because I can't put them on, they stretch. But people made a lot of assumptions about me. And so if I was literally walking down the street right now, you didn't know who I was, would you see an evangelical Christian man married with three children, professional counselor? Would you see that? I'm asking, would anybody see that? You'd probably see what I was wearing, my gender, my race, true or false? True. So how would you know those other things? Well, how would you figure that out? You'd have to stand up, ask the question, and then listen. I'm repeating the same thing over again. It's not, it's, I promise you, it's not complex. I want you to walk out of here with two questions. I already said you so there's two questions I want you to ask yourself this summer. Because Jesus in verse 22 built something. But prior to that, he tore something down. He destroyed something. So number one, this summer, what do you need to destroy? What do you need to destroy? I'm going to leave that for you to answer for yourself. You know, you know your heart. You know your life. You know what that thing or those things are. What do you need to destroy this summer? Or at least begin to move out of the way in your life. And then number two, what do you need to build up in your life? What is it that you need to build up in your life this summer? Or at least begin to build this quality or this character in your life. It may be recognizing diversity. It may be standing up, coming across the aisle and asking somebody how they feel. I'm not gonna tell you what to put there. So number one, what do you need to tear down? What do you need to build up? Tear down and build up. I believe, as we're closing, I believe that we are called, as Christians, to tear down evil things and build up righteous things. I believe we're called to tear down evil things and then build up in its place righteous things, following the model of our Lord and Savior. Because it makes no difference for us to know the truth of the scripture, Ephesians 2, and then out of fear or doubt or whatever it may be, say and do nothing when we know our brothers and our sisters are hurting. So I'd ask you, what do you need to tear down? And then what do you need to build up? Let's pray.